Now, um, we're going to dive into the Word of God together. Uh, you can start your, your clock, Ronald. You know what I mean. Um, but we're going to start um, at the back there. Guys, are you with me? Um, let's get it going. Thank you. Well, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Please open his mouth. Now, mostly dead is slightly alive. Now, all dead, well, with all dead, there's usually only one thing that you can do. What's that? Go through his clothes and look for loose change. <laughs> so important. What you got here, that's worth living for. True love. True love. You heard him? You could not ask for a more noble cause than that. Yeah, Sonny, true love is the greatest thing in the world. Except for a nice MLT. Mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich when the mutton is nice and lean and the tomatoes ripe. They're so perky. I love that. But that's not what he said. He distinctly said, to blave. And as we all know, to blave means to bluff. Huh? So you're probably playing cards, and he cheated. Liar! 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 Get back, witch! I'm not a witch, I'm... Uh, sorry the visuals weren't really wonderful there. It might help, guys, if we kill all the lights that are shining on the screen. That'll help. Um, but uh, those of you um, who were able to, to kind of see, or at least to hear, um, then you'll know... Does any, you know the movie The Princess Bride? Do you know the movie? All the good people are nodding their heads at me. The rest of you, uh, come on, you need help. Um, those of you who know me, you'll know there's a couple of things that I, I, I always wanted to shoehorn or, or crowbar, possibly, into sermons. One of them being the movie The Princess Bride and the other one uh, being the TV show The West Wing. Um, yeah, anybody with me? No. Um, there's like two people. Yeah, uh, Ronald, we're together. Um, that movie The Princess Bride... Uh, Obviously, go and watch it. Um, you need to do that. But in that little clip there, the hero of the movie, he has, to all intents and purposes, seemed to pass away, seemed to die in, in the, the throes of the, the journey. Um, but there, that, that chap, um, Miracle Max is his name. Um, you're all still looking blankly at me. But there he was pumping air into him. Um, and then he pushed it back out. He said, what is it that you've got to live for? Did you hear that? What is it that you've got to live for? And he pumped the air and pushed on his chest, and out it came. True love. True love. That's such a beautiful thing to live for, isn't it? And, and if you're still not smiling at me now, it's not because you don't know the movie, it's because you're not romantic at all. Um, and a true love, and that's kind of the heartbeat of, of the film. Um, there's a lot of other important wisdom in the movie. Um, things like uh, never get involved in a land war in Asia. Uh, that's some important wisdom for you. Or, or never go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a Sicilian when death is on the line. Anybody else? No? Uh, there's like three people here who are kind of going with these things. Um, but anyhow, this is the bit of wisdom that we're starting with um, this morning. And the Bible class should have gone out. And you're too polite. Don't be so polite. Um, if you're aged 11 to 14, years 7 to 9, run now and follow Izzy. Um, she's not teaching. Um, she's looking a little afraid now. But she is leading you out of the room at this point. Um, so go, 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 go. And you're going to come back in about half an hour. Um, wonderful. The rest of you, um, we're in this now. 
The question is, what is it that is worth living for? And if you know the story, what they're going to do is they're going to bring him back from being mostly dead. Um, the, the, you know, the, the, the medical, biological side of the movie is a bit wonky. Um, but you get the idea. He's going to come back. And it's, well, why? Why would you need to live? Not just, not just pastime. Not just kind of count the days, not twiddle your thumbs. What is the truest meaning of your life? What is the reason for your existence? It's the question that we're going to be asking ourselves over the coming um, weeks as we journey through Lent and toward Easter. And our series is in the mornings is entitled Made for More. And I want to ask you that question. What are you here for? And don't tell me to have a bit of coffee and cake afterwards with your friends. That's not what I mean. Why are you here? Here's the question. What is really, truly, deeply worth living for? If you say nothing, well, I'm afraid I simply don't believe you. I don't believe for a minute that you don't feel a longing for meaning. Um, There's a wonderful uh, German word, and I meant to ask before I attempted this German word, so I'm going to ruin it. Um, But I I think think Aline's just popped out, so she can't laugh at me too much. Um, But it's something like Sehnsucht. I I just thought I'd like spit a little bit at the end and that would get it right. Is that okay? Uh, Sehnsucht. And and you're probably wondering, what on earth is Pastor Greg talking about now? We don't speak German. If you do, you know that I probably just said that wrong. Um, But here, the word, it means longing, a deep longing. And I've been reading this book by a guy called Andrew Peterson. And he writes like this. He says, C.S. Lewis described Sehnsucht. Um, as an inconsolable longing and even pointed to it as proof for the existence of God we all feel it we're all familiar with it on some level well what's it there for what's it there for if we're just meaningless clusters of cells hurtling through a meaningless universe pay attention to it Pay attention to moments. Pay attention to moments when you're crying without knowing why. It could be that the author of the great mystery of creation is whispering to you. Have you ever felt a restless discontent? Have you ever felt a restless discontent? I felt it through quite a portion of last night because Judah had done his little ninja move and got into bed with me. And, uh, and he was pushing me in the back um, for hour after hour. I felt a restless discontent. I'm getting a little bit more brutal with him. I just shove him back now. Um, he's quite big. He can take it. Um, rest, uh, no, but more, si- more sincerely, more, more, more seriously, have you felt a restless discontent with your circumstances, with your life, with something of the nature of your being, with the world around you? Uh, the way that you see that things are and, and perhaps you feel, sense profoundly that that's not how they should be. That inconsolable longing for something that, that, that nothing else can satisfy. You know what it is? It's a realisation of, of the eternity that God placed within your heart. And what we're experiencing, encountering, is something of a longing for the kingdom of God to be real and realized in the here and now. Jesus invites us to pray for it. 
We yearn for the coming, not just of the kingdom of God, but the very presence of the person of Jesus Christ. And you yearn to be a part of that kingdom. You know, it's not an abstract thing. It's not theoretical or academic, and it's not a a passive thing. You know, perhaps, that God has called you to be a part of this and that nothing else will fill that part of you. A restless longing for the kingdom of God, for his meaning, his purpose, for your life in this world, for his glory. We have two verses that we're going to be coming back to again and again and again over these coming weeks. And um, you may well know them already. I would urge you, if you're in the practice of it, memorize these verses. If you're not yet in the practice of it, give it a go. Uh, you might not have remembered anything since you left school, um, but, but give this a go. It'll do you such, such good. And the first verse is John chapter 10 and verse 10. And we're focusing actually on the second half of that verse where Jesus says... I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. You might be familiar with it in another version where it says, life in all its fullness. Yeah? I, I, I like the abundant one because uh, abundance is not, it, it doesn't seem constrained. Fullness, when you think about it, you might think about you know, a receptacle. And when we think about fullness, we think, well, when it's reached its brim, then you can't have any more in it. But the kind of fullness that the Bible talks about, the abundant fullness, is the kind of fullness that runs over and never runs dry. That's the kind of fullness. And if I didn't have to clear up afterwards, I'd just grab my jug and I'd show you. Um, This is the kind of fullness of the the life of Christ that he offers to us. It's, It's limitless fullness. Limitless fullness. That God fills us to overflowing. It's good for us. It's good for those around us. The overflowing is a blessing to those around us. That's John chapter 10 and verse 10. And the second verse that I want you to really make a note of is Ephesians 2 and verse 10. And I love this verse, so you've heard it a great deal already. But in the Bible there, we are told that we are God's workmanship or craftsmanship or masterpiece. That we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them I want you to just encourage yourself in your soul that God prepared your life before it had even begun he prepared good things for your life before it had even got going does that sound like good news to anybody That God cares about you that much that he didn't let you just kind of accidentally or haphazardly come into this world without any sense of meaning or purpose. But rather, God determined that your life would be a significant life. Would you do me a favor? Because I get the feeling you need a bit of warming up. Tell somebody next to you, your life is significant. Could you do that? Would you encourage somebody near you? Your life is significant. It is full of meaning and it is full of purpose. Now these verses, they speak powerfully to our calling in this life. And that's a subject that we're going to begin to unpack this morning. It is just a a thumbnail sketch this morning. We're going to dive into various aspects in greater depth over the weeks to come. 
But if you were to study um, the subject of calling, of Christian purpose, meaning, if you were to stu- study that subject through, through Christian history, you'd find that theologians, as they uh, dig into the Bible, would think about this idea of calling in two ways. They would talk about, firstly, there's a primary calling, which is common to every single believer who's ever lived. You might look different to one another, sound different to one another, have different backgrounds, have come to faith in Jesus different ways through different inputs. You might have different likes, different loves, and all many different things. But this is common to us all. Christ Jesus died for you. And he set you free from your sins. And he's given you a new life that he calls you into the fullness of. And there's literally not a person who is in Christ who doesn't have that call of God upon their life. Yeah? You are called by Jesus in this way. He saved you. He set you free. I really thought some of these things would put smiles on your faces, but you're proving me wrong. Come on. Jesus Christ has done a wonder work in your life. And this is the primary calling of your life and of your existence. It's common to everybody. But additionally to that, there is what we might term then our secondary calling, which would be unique to you in certain aspects, if not totally and completely. And what this is, is is the way that God has made you. It's the things that are you, uniquely you, your experiences, even the challenges that he's added to your life experience, the way that he brought you to faith, perhaps. It's the particular longing for the things of God's kingdom that he has awakened in you. Uh, Because you are unique. You are particular. You see the world in the way that only you see this. And I don't know whether people have told you that 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 makes you weird. Uh, Not at all. It makes you wonderful. Yeah? Is this good news for anybody else as well? Uh, You know, I sometimes feel like I'm a bit weird, but no, I am wonderful. Can I get a hallelujah? Yeah, thank you. And it's not just for me, it's for you also. Can you say an amen for yourself? You are wonderful. And I don't know, uh, maybe that verse in the Bible where it says you are a peculiar people. Is that anybody's life verse? Yeah? (laughs) I am a peculiar person. There is something that is particular about the way that God has called you. Yeah, it might overlap with others. There might be people who share similarities to you. But there's something that God has, Ephesians 2.10, prepared for you beforehand. Good works that you may walk in them. And and what I want to ask you this morning is, are you living, primary calling, secondary calling, the abundance of life, are you living in the fullness of God's calling for your life? Are you delighting fully in the primary calling of salvation, of being part of the family of God? Is this vibrantly, resonantly alive in you? Is the full kaleidoscope of his calling to salvation sparkling with joy in your being? Hey, that sounded good when I said that. I thought that sounded good. I want some of that. Does anybody else want some of that? Oh, you miserable bunch. Um, I'm going to have it all then. Um, Are you delighting in in the fullness of the calling of God for your salvation? And are you living out your God given mandate? to bring his perfect peace, his presence 
into this world? These are big questions, aren't they? These are big questions. I don't know. I don't know about you, but when I ask those questions, and, and believe you me, I ask them of myself before I ever ask them of you, there, there sometimes comes a little bit of hesitancy. Anybody? And you're like, well, you know, I think so. Or, I'd like to, or I can see why that's good and right, and, or maybe sometimes. But I, I believe that we're made for more. And that's good news. Because whatever it is that you've known and experienced and enjoyed and delighted in of God, to this point now, there is more for you. Yeah? Come on, say that to somebody near you. There's more for you. What we're talking about this morning is about living in your sweet spot. Living in your life's sweet spot. Do you know what I mean by that? Any of you sporting people here this morning? There's a handful of sporting people. I guess it's kind of, it applies to numerous kind of sporting things. Um, but sorry, I'm being told from the back I shouldn't talk about sports. Um, the Evertonians laughed the loudest at that point, but we're going to move on. Um, I'm going to perhaps think about maybe a, a, a bat and a ball sport or something like that. Or maybe think about tennis, yeah? And with tennis, you know about this. There's a particular kind of way that if the, 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 the racket makes contact with that ball and it's just in the right place and the right timing, it's just going to soar, isn't it? It's going to really fly. I remember um, a couple of years ago now, we were over visiting Erin's family um, in Canada. And um, I'm trying to remember. I th- yeah, we had Judah um, and... Um, and, and we'd gone over there, and we left Judah with the grandparents, and it was a, a nice summer's evening, and we went down the road where there was some free um, tennis courts. Well, I don't, I don't know whether they were free, actually. They were free to us, um, and we, we didn't pay anybody, and we grabbed some tennis rackets. Um, they, they were ours, and, um, and we went down, and we played tennis, um, and, uh, and we went, and we played, and uh, we, we, do you know, I thought I was playing absolutely magnificently. I don't know why you're laughing. You haven't heard the end of this story. And, and the evidence that I had for that I was playing magnificently is that I thought my serve was coming in. Abs- and there's no mercy in sports. I just want to point this out. It may have been my wife at the other end, but I'm not holding back. And I thought my serve was coming down so gloriously with all the power that I could muster that by the end of our time playing tennis, we had actually broken all of the tennis balls. And I thought, you know, it must be because it's just the sweet spot. It was coming in so perfectly. Um, afterwards, Erin reminded me that we'd bought the entire packet of tennis balls for less than a dollar. Um, so it was possible, just possible, that maybe that was the reason why they broke. I like to think of it my way. Um, but you know how it is. You, just, you, you connect, and it's in just the right place, just the right way, and everything soars. It's not just a sports thing. It's a life thing, isn't it? You know how it is, you know, you're in the workplace and, and everything comes together, training, opportunity, resources, time, nobody's pestering you, hallelujah. It's a prophetic word for your workplace this week. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know what's going on in your workplaces, but that landed a bit too heavy, didn't it? Um, everything just comes sweetly into alignment and it goes, Yeah. You had those moments? Yeah? Ten of you have had those moments in your life to date. 
Oh, God bless the rest of you. Let it come. Let it come soon. Seriously, look, things go further, faster, and with greater effect when they're in their sweet spot. Things aren't so forced, not so effortful, and so much more satisfying. You know, when Jesus talks about some of these things, he talks about taking on his yoke, which is an easy yoke, you know, and, and, and taking on a burden, but which is light. Sounds a bit like sweet spot thinking, don't you think? For your life in Christ, his way. Biblically, we can define our, our calling sweet spots as having three parts. And these, these three very simple words are going to come up over and over again over the coming weeks. And they are be. Can everyone say be? be. Yeah. Secondly, do. Help me. And lastly, go. Yeah. Be, do, go. We're making it so easy. Uh, you can remember these things. What, what is, what is the, the, the B? What, what is your being? Well, it's about your identity and it's about your design. It's about who you are in Christ and the way he's made you. And the question we can ask ourselves is, who am I made to be? Who am I made to be? It's not a question that you can answer by looking at anybody else. Now, they might give you inspiration in certain areas or whatever, but if, if somebody else is, 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 is who you think you're supposed to be, then you're diminishing who you're supposed to be. You're not supposed to be a cookie-cutter model, a, a, you know, a photocopy of somebody else's life that's so two-dimensional. No, no, no. Who are you made to be? I, I, thinking about do, our doing. This is a question of mission. It's a question of purpose in your life. And the question we can ask ourselves here is, what am I made to do? And we ask ourselves, who am I made to be? Then what am I made to do? Believe this to be true. God made good works for you to walk in that. And lastly, then, we think about our, our, our sense of calling in terms of, in terms of go. And go is thinking about not just the mission, but the mission field. Our position in life. The way that we're positioned to accomplish the things that God has for us in life. And the question we ask ourselves then is, where am I to go? Be, do, go. Who am I made to be? What am I made to do? Where am I to go? Now, we're going to be unpacking elements of calling over coming weeks, so you don't need to kind of perhaps grab everything today. But what you'll see is that they're found both in your primary calling, that is the work of salvation that Jesus has done in your life, and in your secondary calling. And they're, they're not about some sort of selfish accumulation. The way God calls us is not so that we can kind of make ourselves a name tag and give ourselves a title and say, I am this. And the fullness of God is, is not just about kind of us getting more and more and more so that we can be smugly self-satisfied in ourselves. No, no, no. The fullness of God poured into our lives, it's, it's about love. It's, a, it's about the outpouring of that love so that we might love God more. And more like he loves us. You know, Jesus, he, he's called you to the Father not to accomplish some sort of transaction. Not because he kind of had to do this so that the job would be accomplished. No, no, no. He's calling you into relationship. 
And so when you're experiencing the abundance of that calling, not only are you knowing his love in your life, but you're getting to love him more fully as well. Is that good news? That sounds like good news to me. And even when we're thinking then about our secondary calling, when God is pouring into our lives, it's so that the love he pours into us, saying you're called, you're positioned, you're purposed, you have a mission, so that that love might overflow to those around us. And God wants to call us, not so that we can have some sort of big ticket on ourselves, but so that love may flow toward God and toward one another. Think about your life like this. I think there's a little image that will help us, Berenice, of a rowing boat. Think about your life like a rowing boat. Um, there it is. Has, has anybody been rowing? Have you been rowing? Yeah? Like six of you? All right, we're organizing like a church rowing trip on the River D, I think. Let's see how many of you we can capsize. Um, now, you, I, I guess you know roughly how rowing works. Do you have a rough idea of how rowing works? Yeah? There's big sticks. Yeah? <laughs> They're called oars. Um, the big sticks on the side of the boat. You have to grab a hold of them. And here's the tricky bit. You're facing the wrong direction. A lot of trust involved in rowing. Um, if you have to pull on them both to get the boat going. Do you, you get this? Yeah? Have you seen this on the Olympics? Okay. I don't know why I'm moving my arms like this. It's just strange, isn't it? Um, but you understand how it works. There's the boat. There's the oars. Is that boat going anywhere? No. You've got to get in the boat and start pulling on the oars. I want you to think about your primary and your secondary calling as though they are the oars of the boat of your life. Okay? I hope this is helpful to you. Now, if you've got no oars functioning in your life, it means not only do you not know what God has made you for, but you don't know that he's made you for himself. And, and my prayer for you today would be that you understand that God calls you to himself for love because he loves you and he wants you to enjoy what it is to love him back. Now we've got an oar going, haven't we now? I was going to ask you to all start doing your arms. It's like Father Abraham. Do you remember that from Sunday school? Yeah? Do you remember? Um, I sing songs with my lad in bed before he goes to bed. And they're normally quite calm, gentle songs. I had the stupid moment the other week when I started singing Father Abraham lying in bed with him. Can you imagine what that looked like? We were just kind of like flies dying on our backs. But uh, anyhow, moving on. Um, get your boat going. We've got one oar functioning. What happens if you're just pulling on one oar in your boat? Round and round in circles. I'm not going to ask you to stick your hand up, but has anyone ever felt like your life is going round and round in circles? I imagine we may have done at times. See, God has made you not only to know your calling in relationship to him in love, but to know your calling in this life to bring that love to bear upon this world. You've got to get both your oars going. And that's when the ship, the boat of your life, starts journeying in the direction that God has made it to go in. I, as I was um, growing up and uh, kind of wrestling with some of this sense, I had a, a sense in my life from probably my teenage years um, that God had a, a calling upon my life. 
And, um, you know, I, I don't for a moment want to characterize calling as though you have to be a pastor to have a calling. That's not true at all. It's my particular journey that that, that is the case. But I had a sense of God's calling upon my life, but I didn't really know what that looked like or how it should work itself out. Now, I grew up in the home of a pastor. My dad was a pastor. And I, I saw enough of a pastor to know that it was a high calling. But if God hadn't called you to it, it was a terrible job. Um, yeah, it's a high calling and it's a glorious thing to enjoy doing. But if there's no true calling to it, it's a really bad job. I just want to put that out there in case any of you are kind of weighing up job opportunities. Um, and I, you know, I tried all sorts of things. I wrestled with it in my teenage years. I, for a while, I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, turns out I didn't want to be a lawyer. I was just argumentative. Um, and, but then I wanted to be a vet. And I think that was largely because I just prefer animals to people. Um, that's a bad thing to say, isn't it? Well, there you go. And I, wanted, I tried all sorts of things. And I went to university. I studied biology, uh, which I liked for a, a couple of years. Sadly, a degree is three years. Um, and I had to just kind of push on through there and get to the end of it. And then tried out different things, worked in different jobs. And I ended up all the way over in Nicaragua in Central America, um, counting butterflies and hugging trees. Is that anyone's calling? Uh, probably not. Uh, but it was there that God really clarified for me. At the end of each kind of hot and sweaty working day, we would go and we would swim in the Pacific Ocean. Does anybody want that calling? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there we were. And God really um, deposited in my heart. Um, a, a true and deep realization of the calling that he had upon my life. You know, that, that's a little bit of my journey. Ask me more about it another time. It's not always obvious, and, and, and sometimes you've got to do a bit of work. Uh, oftentimes, there's lots of things for you to give up along the way. Give up your best thinking, or, or what your ideas might be, or even some of those great-looking opportunities that actually, when you think about it and when you pray about it, they're not in the sweet spot of your life to see God's love at work in your life. Look, there are many ideas for how you might live, many opportunities. You have many talents. I'm sure you do. But there's one sweet spot for your life. And the reason why we're talking about these things at length and we'll do over the coming weeks is I don't want for any of us to go through our lives, to come to the conclusion of our days and to look back and say, well, there were some nice things along the journey, but I really don't think I found my sweet spot. I think that would be a tragedy, don't you? An absolute tragedy. I would long for us to be a church where we're, we're all journeying in the same direction, longing and loving Jesus and longing to love those in our world in the way that God has made us to do so, so that we see the kingdom of God here on earth, here now as it is in heaven. We're going to be largely in the book of Ephesians over the coming weeks. I'm just going to, just for the next couple of moments, just sketch out where we're going uh, before we draw to a close and praise God together. Um, here's a brief sketch. Um, firstly, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 1. 
verses 22 and 23, they say this. They say, he, that is God, put all things under his feet, that is Jesus, and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Put very simply for this morning, the church of Jesus is made to carry the fullness made to carry the overflowing abundance of Jesus into the world. That's a high calling, isn't it? Church, this is us. This is not, church is not an abstract thing. This is the body of Christ. This is us. We're made together to carry the abundance of Christ into the world. That's absolutely remarkable. From Ephesians 1, we're going to journey into Ephesians 2. You've had it already, but verse 10 of Ephesians 2. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Look, there's a be and a do and a go all right there in that verse. His workmanship, that's your being. For good works, there's your doing that we should walk in them. There's you going. It's, it's all there. We're going to unpack this over the weeks to come. From Ephesians 2, we're going to come into Ephesians 3 where we find Paul is making the case for the gift that God has given him, the ministry that he's privileged to share with so many. It's in this image of a jar overflowing, pouring out. Uh, it's an image again that Paul shares in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. He says this is the nature of what it is to be a, a believer, a minister of grace. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The treasure that God pours into our frail lives and not just to be enjoyed or hoarded to ourselves. It is to show what we are to pour out. And then from Ephesians 3, we go to Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 13. They say this. Jesus gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the intent of God's equipping of his church. And, and notice there, this is for everybody. God gives his gifts to the church to equip the saints, all the saints, every single one. You're in this. And then in Ephesians 4 and then into 5, Read them for yourselves. You'll find clear descriptions of our being and our doing, that we are to be this and then to do that. Now, this is all well and good, but it's quite possible that you can be part of this gathering this morning, hear these things, and you could be interested by what you're hearing, but leave the gathering profoundly unchanged. You could say, well, I can see that the Bible says this, but you could still go from here with no change in your life, no change whatsoever. Look, you might say to yourself, life's okay. Maybe work's going fine. Maybe the bank balance is all right. Maybe the kids are doing okay at the moment. Maybe your wife, your husband, they seem happy. Things might be even better than that. You might be abundantly blessed in some things. I want you to ask yourself, are those things the things of eternity?
Are those the things of the love for God and that love overflowing into the lives of those around you? I just want to share as we draw to a close um, just two, two more verses. And one of them, it's a verse of real bluntness, but I think we need it. In the book of Job, you know, towards the end of the book, chapter 33, you know, there's so much talk in the book of Job, a lot of talk. But God comes into all of the best ideas and all the best thinking, and he says this. He says, pay attention, O Job. Listen to me. Be silent, and I will speak. I, I love that. Uh, you know, if I were paraphrasing the Bible, I might put it like this. Just shut up and listen. Just shut up and listen. I know that's a word from God for me. Is <laughs> anybody else? You need this word? We've got so many thoughts, so many things that we're saying, so many things that we're doing. Just shut up and listen. As we journey through Lent, could you just shut up and listen? I say this, and I hope you know my heart. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just trying to open up the prospect of God's fullness for your life. If you're on our church prayer line, and I hope you are, before this gathering this morning, you'll have received a devotional plan. It just popped in to your phone, and we're going to make it available via email, social media as well. 31 days made for more. Can you resolve You'll set aside other things. Find some time in your day. Read these thoughts. Journey together. <coughs> shut up and listen. And, and get yourself into your transformed community. Will you do that? Get yourself into your transformed community and shut up and listen. Because you're made to do this together. To experience the more of God together. Um, many of you, you're not yet part of a transformed community and you think somehow that you're going to experience the fullness of God some other way. Hey, you have half of the coin of this church. I don't know whether you've got the heads or the tails. I don't know. But you're missing out on the other half. You truly are. Don't let it go another week without engaging with a transformed community. Be in one with one another. Journey and listen. What's the next verse? And I, I, I can't hear the piano. Should we be hearing it? Can we hear it? That would be wonderful. That was what was going to tell me to shut up. Uh, so, you know, you want this. Um, stand with me. Would you do that? And um, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, it says this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Look, you could shut up and listen and hear God say to you some pretty important things, but you could still choose to go your own way. You could still choose to go the way of things that, truth be told, they're for time but not for all time. They're for here but not for heaven. You could invest your entire life in things that are, that they're not bad things. But they aren't going to grow the love of God in your life. Nor are they going to invite anybody else into that love. I want to ask you this morning and as we journey together over Lent, What's the scorecard of your life? What constitutes a win? And, and come on, can I be really blunt? If it's just a certain salary or a certain bank balance or a certain house or a certain car or certain holidays, even if it's for certain things or achievements for your kids or, or certain kind of relationship goals, we talked about that recently. 
if it's just for the things that may well be good things, but they're not forever things, then you've missed a huge part of the way that God has made you. He's made you for his glory. He's made you for eternity. There's a gentleman named Bob Buford, and he puts it like this. He says, there's going to be two questions, really, that are the scorecard of our lives. First one is, what did you do with who Jesus says he is? What did you do with that? The truth that Jesus speaks about himself. And the second question is, what did you do with who Jesus says you are? Much, much bigger than anything that we might say. Much bigger than anything any of us, I would say, are living right now. It's not to say there aren't good things, but it's to say that we're made for more. So would you close your eyes for a moment? We're going to come in to worship God together in a moment. In a little while, we'll have an opportunity to bring our tithes and our offerings. But don't be distracted right now. Two questions. What have you done with who Jesus says he is? Have you received him as your Lord and your Savior? Are you growing in the love for God, even as you're knowing that love more and more? What have you done with who Jesus says he is? Second question. When it comes to the end of your days, what will you have done with who Jesus says you are? His calling is great. God wants to work that love in this world in ways that, well, they're bigger than we've asked for or imagined so far. But God, would you awaken something within us as a church to believe in you? As we read these daily devotionals, God, would you spark the truth of your calling upon our lives within us? As we make the time to be with one another, exploring these things together in our transformed communities, God, would you awaken the possibility. God, I pray in our transformed communities that folks will look across the room at one another and and they'll have words from heaven about the, the calling of God upon each other's lives. I pray, God, that people will be speaking these truths over one another and awakening the fullness of life in Christ for one another. Let that begin even this week, Jesus, I pray. God, would you do these things in our lives for the glory of your great name.